You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to a new edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com as we get you ready for the Monday night matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm pretty excited about that, but I could just be excited that it is, you know, like four straight days of eating this yeah, time of year. We're right in the peak peak eating season right now. As Pete Carroll said, for the players, it can't be an eating circus this week. Right. It can be for us. Yeah, I've I've been pretty successful at making it an eating circus, you know. I've timed it out. I've got a schedule and a spreadsheet. Oh wow. Yeah. You're much it's, more organized. Well, when you're the one that has to make yeah. all the food, right? Really you know, you kinda have to have a schedule for it. But it also helps me pace out exactly how much I eat so that I can, you know, keep going all day. There you go. Really? Pacing yeah. is important. Right. Uh, that is not what the Seahawks defense did last week, though. Let's start the conversation there as the Seahawks coming off a win on the road in Philadelphia. Before we take a look at what that means for the Vikings matchup, let's break down what we learned about the team. And I would say we probably learned the most about the defense and the defensive line. Exactly. And, you know, Pete Carroll said this himself after the game. You know, what what are we going to do without Jadavian Clowney? He kind of said it rhetorically. But that's what everyone was thinking when he, when, you know, an hour and a half before kickoff, Clowney's inactive because – Going back a few weeks ago, that 49ers game, we, we saw that game as a turning point for the defense, but such a huge part of it was what Clowney did. He was so dominant that game. So you worry, okay, was that just a product of Clowney? No, it turns out it wasn't. That defensive line played great, got a lot of pressure, had three sacks in the first half, forced fumbles on a couple of them. You do that without your best player out there. That's really encouraging going forward for when Clowney does get back in the mix. It is very impressive, and this defense seems to be gelling at the right time. And as Pete Carroll said, you know, if you can do what you did without Jadavian, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, it was really exciting, you know, because we, we cranked back up and, and got nine pressures, and we had ten or whatever the week before. So, um, you know, it's a really good sign for us, very positive, really optimistic about that, the hopes that we can do it again, you know. So that's a big challenge for us, but it does change the, the look of how we play without question, and so uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, and they were also getting a lot of pressure without having to bring extra yeah, guys. That was impressive, too. Because, yeah, we've seen it earlier in the year when they were having a hard time getting pressure. A lot of linebackers blitzing, a lot of Kendricks coming off the edge, you know, blitzing Bobby at the middle. They'll still – sprinkle that in you always want that to be a wrinkle to throw at teams but they haven't had to lean on it as much and that's obviously I mean that's it's kind of simple to say but if you get pressure with four it makes things so much different because now you've got seven guys back there in coverage and the Seahawks have now forced eight turnovers in the last two games that is the most in any two-game span for the Hawks since late in the 2013 season when they forced nine playing against the Giants and the Cardinals. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this starts coming together when Quandre Diggs gets inserted into the lineup. No, he's been a big part of it. I mean, you wouldn't think one guy coming in for, you know, middle of the season could make that much of a difference. And I don't, you know, it's not fair to just to the other guys to say, oh, it's Quandre Diggs is why they're playing better. But he's really helped settle things down in that secondary. You got two experienced veterans back there, and he's just kind of got that playmaker. Some guys – they just have that knack for finding the ball, making the play. We saw him 
rip the fumble out. They did change that. He gets credit for that now in the, in the game. They gave it to Shaquille. But he, so he gets the forced fumble and recovery. He had the pick in the game before. And the other thing, because they like his range and the way he plays, we're seeing more of the true single high safety that allows McDougal to be in the box more and make more plays closer to line of scrimmage. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last week, and I talked to Bradley about that this week, and he goes, you know, it's really that. nice just to be he able to do that. that. He he tried to downplay it a little bit, but the smile on his yeah. face was a pretty big I mean, big he's giveaway. a good team guy that if they tell him, you know, you need to be deep, you need to be a free safety, he'll do it, and he can do it well. But he loves being in the box, being able to make plays. You know, for the most part, the Seahawks are fairly healthy coming into this part of the season, but we can't talk about Jadavia not playing last week without knowing what his status is for this week. Here's what Pete Carroll thinks. Counting on him getting back, you know. Um, well, well, yeah, we are. We're counting on him getting back, but um, he's still got to make it. So it's a little twinge of optimism there again. You know, that, um, But he feels good about it. He wants to go, and he's going to try to make it. He has participated in some practices this week. and I talked to him just a little bit, and, and he said he was saving it up. He's got a little pent-up frustration from not being able to play last week. He's saving it up for Monday night. So you if go. you talk to Clowney, he's ready to go, and he's ready to be a beast. Yeah, they'd love to see that. That would be good. Now, here's what else we saw in the game against Philadelphia. We saw a lot of Rashad Penny, and I am so happy that he finally got his chance. And he had... A, the longest play from scrimmage by the Seahawks this year in that touchdown run that goes for 58 yards. But he also had some other nice plays. I think all the way around, that's what we have been waiting and hoping for from Penny. Exactly. It's been tough on him. You know, you're a first-round pick. You come in with a lot of expectations on you. And, you know, some of it was he was dinged up a little bit. But a lot of it's no fault of his own. He's just stuck behind a guy who's having a second straight great season in Chris Carson. So the opportunities haven't always been there. But the, the way he's still, you know, Pete Carroll said, his last few weeks were the best weeks he'd had in practice. They were ready to see it in a game, and he was outstanding. And you said it wasn't just the one play. He's he's always had that kind of big play ability. And, I mean, he had two other runs of 21 and 26 yards, I believe. So the fact that he can come in and kind of be that big play change of pace, it's when you get both those guys going, the running game could be great down the stretch here. You know, there was a couple of guys that Pete Carroll talked about having great weeks of practice leading up to, particularly the Philly game. But – I do think it's worth noting that practice gets graded just like games. I don't know if everybody listening recognizes that. Practices are filmed. They get graded out. And that's what you talk about when you're in your position group meetings. The fact that Rashad Penny didn't just kind of put his head down or mope around or whatever, knowing that Chris Carson was getting most of the touches, I, I, I do think that says a lot about Penny. And whether you always see it or not on the sidelines, the coaches are seeing what they need to see in practice. Exactly. I mean, he played three snaps against the 49ers, and he fumbled on one of those plays. That's the kind of game that, if you're already having a hard time getting on the field, could cause somebody who's not in the right place mentally to kind of just get down and go in the tank a little bit. And instead, he had one of his best weeks of practice, earned himself more playing time, and had a great game. And when you mention fumbles... Well, you yeah. got to mention Chris Carson. And look, I, I do believe, so back-to-back fumbles. Look, the second one, I, I don't know that that was Carson's fault. Maybe it was his fault that he didn't hear the play call, but that was clearly just a miscommunication, yeah, it was, right? It's it was not because... Russell checked, and you know, yeah. the quarterback's always going to put that himself, saying I should have communicated, communicated it better. One thing Pete Carroll suggests is, you know, maybe it was in his head the play before that he fumbled, and yeah. it caused him to miss the check. You're thinking about, the, oh, you just had a mistake on the last play. So... 
you know, you hate to have that, but that's a little less discouraging than a physical error. Exactly. Of, you know, oh, this guy's I'm got not, fumble problems and somebody it, yes. ripped the ball out again. That yeah, but he thing. still has a season, or I'm sorry, he's got a league high, seven fumbles this year. So if you know that Rashad Penny has had the situation where mm-hmm. he fumbled and then he didn't see the field again the rest of that game, what do you do with Chris Carson? And does it ever flip around? I mean, at some point, I think it would have to. You can't have the fumbles forever, but they've gone out of their way to be really supportive of Chris because they've seen him go long stretches without this being an issue. It wasn't a problem last year. And after the first three games this year, he went, I think it was a four or five game stretch without a fumble, and you thought it was behind him. Unfortunately, it's popped back up these last couple of weeks. Look, they know this offense is better with Chris Carson. They need to get him right. Pete Carroll's going to be as supportive as he can. But, yeah, at some point, you got to clean that up. You can't just keep leaving the fumble every week. Well, and let's not just put it all on Chris Carson because no. there was a stretch during the third quarter where the Seahawks were not playing well at all on offense. You know, they got the ball in good field position. They kept backing up, backing up, backing up. Yeah, and you penalties. started to wonder. Yeah, you started to wonder. It's like, look, guys, are, are we going to do this again? Right, because they have cost themselves some big opportunities in games, and that is about the time that Dwayne Brown stepped in and told the offense to get right and get it together. Trust the heck out of him. When when he has the impulse that he wants, and it was not not orchestrated. He had the impulse that he wanted to talk to the guys and get them together. Um, we weren't clean enough. We weren't executing the way we we had planned to. And and uh, I mean that's just leadership in action right there you know you couldn't you couldn't help but see that how determined he was to try to turn things and get things right and all of that and i i, I trust the heck out of him. whatever he thought to say you know i want him to speak his, his heart and he uh so it's welcomed and, and appreciated okay i get it and i really appreciate Dwayne doing that and here was my question after the game and here's the question i'm going to ask you how come we have to have this happen this late in the season that's a good question. It's tough to say. I mean, you can sometimes say, okay, road game, if it's a tough crowd, whatever. But, these, I mean, this is a good road team. They're 6-0 on the road. They, they shouldn't be having these problems. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for it, and I know people hate the penalties. The one thing I will say is I think sometimes the loathing of penalties can be, like, blaming everything on it is a little overrated, and I say that because two of the best seasons in franchise history coincide with leading the NFL in penalty yards. So, you can't, and that's the two Super Bowl years, 2013 2014. So you can get away with it. It's not ideal, but, you know, they, they need to the, – the pre-snap ones are the killer. When right. it's when it's jumping off sides when you've got them pinned at their one-yard line, when it's false starts to start a drive, that – I mean, that's just such easy, correctable stuff. But you live with a little bit of it, but you can't have too much. One more thing on the Seahawks offense from last week's game before we turn the page and take a look at the matchup against the Vikings. Tyler Lockett was on the field, and look, that was incredible to have him on the field given the fact that he had spent a couple of nights in the hospital after we had uh, left the game against San Francisco. But you could tell that Tyler, it it was a really quiet game, and as Pete kind of uh, confirmed this week, he was not quite himself. Feels really good now. It was. It wasn't. You know, he wasn't maybe 100. percent You know, even though he could run and play and all that, he just feels better now. So, um, I think it's going to take all the way to Monday to really kind of put it in the in, in the rearview mirror. But um, he's in good shape. He looked really good today. That's good news. Yeah. Because the Seahawks need all the weapons they can get against a Vikings defense that uh, they can they can do some damage up front. Yeah, they've got they've got. On paper, this is a great defense, and they've done a lot of good things this year. But 
relative to what you would expect out of the quality defense they have, they've been giving up some big plays. And if you can, you know, Daniil Hunter's a great pass rusher, and you can't do much if you let him wreck the game for you. But if you can protect Russell Wilson long enough, there's opportunities to throw the ball against this Viking defense. They, over their last three games, 21 explosive pass plays allowed, which is tied for second most in the NFL. And how about Eric Kendricks, by the way, the brother of Michael Kendricks? Year. Have you looked at these numbers? I started to look at them. He is a linebacker, just just yep. to clarify here, 12, 12 pass, defense, pass yeah. defenses. On top of what, 84 tackles, I think it is? 84, 94 tackles? I think he leads the leads the team with a total of 103 combined. Okay. Yeah, I was way off. But anyway, I knew he led the team in tackles. He's yes. having a great year. He's having a great year. And yet, they are susceptible right there, kind of in the middle of the field, to get those mid-range yards that turn into the explosive plays that uh, it just, yeah, it is amazing to me. Let's, um, let's take a look at the matchup here in the red zone. Have you seen some of these numbers in the red zone? Can't say I have. Minnesota Educate is me, one Jen. of the best teams in the red zone when it comes to defense. Opponents are allowed to score touchdowns 47% of the time. That is sixth best in the league. Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, fifth best at converting touchdowns Ooh, in the red zone. That's a good one. It is, right? So what does this mean for at least moving down the field against this Vikings team? They would like to take away your run game, by the way. Yeah, like like any good defense would. And, you know, we know Mike Zimmer's a great defensive coach. And when you mention the run game, that a lot of times if you ask, you know, Brian Schottenheimer or anyone else why the Seahawks have been a good red zone team, it's being balanced in the red zone because everything's – we all know it compresses back there. It's a lot harder to throw the ball when the defense is, only has to defend X number of yards to the back of the end zone instead of the whole field. I'd say, you know, if you want to win that – Red zone battle you just laid out, be able to run the ball, get Chris Carson going, get Penny going. Yeah, the Vikings defense, sixth best in the league. They allow 94 rushing yards a game. The Seahawks now have faced several top five teams when it comes to stopping the run, and the Seahawks have won that battle every time. They're allowing just 18.6 points per game, which I thought was interesting because, again, I've watched the Vikings play some games. <laughs> That's not what I remember their games looking like, but... That's what you've got on the defensive side of things. On the offensive side of things, there are a lot of weapons that the Seahawks need to make sure they cover because while Dalvin Cook is a big name, boy, they, they do have a balanced attack here. They've got two tight ends that they can throw the ball to, you know, that, that are really capable. And so uh, with Dalvin also to check the ball down to, it's just as hard as it gets. And, and uh, they've been going without Thielen for a, a bit here. And uh, Stephon Diggs is been the go-to guy numbers-wise and all that. But before that, you know, Thielen was the, the highest target getter. And so um, they're, they're just really well-rounded group. And Irv Smith makes them unique in that they use a bigger guy in some of the third-down situations and all that because he's such a good pass, pass receiver. When you talk about those tight ends, since week six, the Vikings tight ends have accounted for six receiving touchdowns. That is tied for the most among tight ends during that time frame. And that's a lot. I mean, tight ends have hurt the Seahawks. Yeah, and, I, you know, we saw it last week, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again when they kind of go that bigger nickel look with Akeem King to combat just that. You know, the, the Eagles rely a lot on their tight ends, and the and – the, I forgot what team they're playing. The Vikings, excuse me. <laughs> the Vikings also do as well. So, as, as you just said, that's a, that's a dangerous part of their passing game, and we'll see, be interesting to see how the Seahawks match up. What impresses you most about Dalvin Cook's numbers? 
I'd say just the balance of, of receiving and, you know, he's, he's almost at 500 receiving yards with still a third of the season to go. So the fact that, we, you know, some of the best backs in the NFL in this modern era of offenses, you got to be able to do both. And when you can go out and have the big receiving numbers and a thousand yard season, he's, he's just that true dual threat. Yeah, he has also scored 11 touchdowns this year. Impressive. And he's coming off the worst game of the season. He had just 26 yards on 11 carries last week. Or, excuse me, two weeks ago because they They're are off coming the bye, off yeah. their bye. Yeah, let's do that again. Or let's hope that, yes. Uh, yeah. you know, just, let's just hope that he has not had time however, to, however to get yeah. very not, upset about that And not that, that he's one. due to bounce back. Um, Seattle is known for creating turnovers. We already mentioned the turnover numbers earlier, and it is not something that has gone unnoticed by the Vikings, by the way. Mike Zimmer talking about that this week as well. Seattle's one of the league leaders in takeaways. What have you seen about how they, they create turnovers on defense? Yeah, they've uh, especially in their, in their games they win. They, they get a lot of turnovers, fumbles, punch the ball out, get a lot of eyes on the ball. Um <clears throat> You know, so they do a really good job in, in, in that. We're going to have to possess the ball and take care of it. Here's what's interesting about this. I mean, I, I do think that this game comes down to takeaways, as we say every week. But both of these quarterbacks are very good at taking care of the ball. You're probably not going to get these takeaways in the form of interceptions. No. You really are going to have to find a way to punch the ball out and create a fumble. Yeah, and that's something the Seahawks have been great at on defense. Uh, as we talked earlier, they've struggled on the offensive end of that. So, you know, it, there was a case against the Eagles last week, too. They've they fumbled the ball a lot as well, and they lost a few in that game. So, yeah, I think both quarterbacks will do their jobs for the most part. I mean, look, if, if one team gets that pressure we talked about earlier – the ball can come out and interceptions can happen. But, yeah, both – I mean, there's a reason these are the top two quarterbacks passer rating-wise in the NFL. And, you know, you, you're not going to get a lot of chances at the ball from them. So, it's, you know, try to punch it out. As a quick aside, have you seen Trey Flowers tackle someone yet this year without trying to punch a ball out? It's great. I love it. No. Every yes. time. Every, Every time. time. Got his left arm wrapped around a guy, which is important. You guys still make the tackle, and right hand comes flying in for the punch. And he gets so upset when he doesn't yeah. get every, that he punch. He expects I mean, it every he time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yes. Love it. Yes. You know, we know that the Seahawks are really good in primetime games at home. We know that they're really good in primetime games overall. But the Seahawks are really good in games during this stretch of the year as we are coming down the stretch here in December. But what do we still need to see? And this will be the last thing before we wrap up and talk specifics about what we need to see in this game. What do we still need to see from this team in December? You know, I just like to see them kind of get it together. We I love what we've seen from the defense the last couple of weeks. The offense, and a lot of this is credit to the teams that the Seahawks have played. The 49ers and Eagles both have really good defenses. I want to see that game where they both come together at the same time. And we see the offense, the, the rust lighten teams up that we saw a few weeks ago, and a defensive performance. And that's where you can get this strong finish where you maybe start not blowing teams out, but winning a little more comfortably. I mean, these close games, they're good. They'll, they'll get you battle-tested. But, you know, we could all use a relaxing fourth quarter at some point. Well, Last week's score, I mean, that was just the second time this season that the game had been won by seven. Yeah, and it was, still, <laughs> it was still, you know, you felt like they were in control the whole time because Eagles weren't doing anything offensively, but because the Seahawks offense couldn't quite get that, you know, couple scores to really bury him, you still felt a little tension all the way through. 
Yeah, and you know, here's what I'm I would just being say. selfish because it's a lot easier to write. Totally. When it's hey, blood, look, you know? it lowers my blood pressure too. <laughs> I, I would say the thing I I need to see from the team over the last month is, you know, just be a little bit more clear on what their identity is. I mean, mm-hmm. you you can start to see it with the turnovers. You can start to see it on offense. You know that it is all about running the ball, but but it just seems like there's a couple of question marks, and maybe it's more of the personality part, not the actual football part. You can tell that this is a really close team. But, yeah, they're just a little bit off of what they need to be to be really dominant down the stretch. Of course, being dominant down the stretch starts with this week because it's always a championship opportunity. What do we need to see from the Seahawks this week for a win? Uh, I want to see – we've talked about the run defense being pretty good this year, and I want to see it continue against Dalvin Cook. Keep him under, let's say, under 90 rushing and 110 total. So we're not going to say you got to shut the guy down because he's a great player, but – Keep him in check to a degree. Make Kirk Cousins, again, he's having a great season, but I think on the road, the way this pass rush is going, the way this defense is going, you can get them into some third, medium, third, and long. I think some of the turnovers will come. What else? Maybe on the other side of the ball, let's just see Russ and, and Tyler in the passing game get going again. You know, I, Again, I don't think Russell Wilson's played bad these last two weeks. I just think it's been some real tough defenses. So let's have one of those three-plus touchdown games with no turnovers. Okay, I like it. I'm going to go both of mine on the defensive side of the ball since there is a little brotherly battle taking place between Eric Kendricks and Michael Kendricks. I'd like to see Michael Kendricks be a game-changer this week. I mean, he certainly has in any number of ways, but I'd like to see him best his brother in both tackles, and I'd like to see him get a QB sack this week. I like it. Also on the defensive side of things, since we expect to see more of a King Keem out there, and I talked to Bradley McDougal, a couple guys this week, they said, look, he is just so good with film study. He doesn't get a lot of opportunities on the field, but he's smart. He recognizes things. If you've got back-to-back games where you are playing significant time with tight ends, I'd like him to pick off one of those passes. I like it. Perfect. We've already talked about how difficult all of that is, but, you know, it's my perfect world. And if the Seahawks can do these things, they would improve to 10-2 and on Monday Night Football under Pete Carroll, and we would be talking about a win next week, which is the next time that you can tune in and listen to the Seahawks Insiders right here.